0: Thanks. Yeah, appreciate it. All right. Thank you, Simon. It's awesome to be with you guys. I'm here with my beautiful, amazing wife, Maureen, of 42 years. Could you stand Maureen stand? stand? She's not going to stand just Take your hand. She's amazing. She's absolutely amazing. Um, it's great to be with you. The first thing that I want to do is I want to thank you for your warm welcome this morning when we walked into the building. And I say that because it's more important than um, we probably realize. When I go to different churches, um, sometimes I walk into the building and you can almost feel right away the love of the congregation or the lack thereof, right? The welcome or the lack thereof. And believe me, I've been in many congregations where you walk through the door and you feel the lack thereof. And this morning, I walked in, and man, you guys are so friendly, so welcoming, and it uh, wasn't just the leaders. To me, it seemed like it was everybody. So as a church planter, um, Marie and I, we've planted two churches uh, through the years, You know, starting in a living room and then moving on to schools and rented facilities and then getting buildings and the churches getting bigger and all that one of the things that we learned along the way is that that sense of welcome is the crucial factor in community life. So I just want to commend you guys and and say, you know, don't ever lose that. It's beautiful. Now I've been in this building before. It's a beautiful building. Isn't it? So it's so cool, right? But you know what's really beautiful? It's you guys. It's the body of Christ. That's that's what's beautiful. It's the welcome. It's the love. And you know, people all around us in these neighborhoods, in these homes, in these families, single people, you know what they need? They need the welcome. They need to be loved. They need a place where they can go and say, "This is my family." So you guys, just by being here as a loving community of Christ, it 's a light to the world, and it doesn 't matter if you 're in this building or if you go down to some school building or wherever you guys end up landing, you know as, as the church continues to grow. That's just super important. So I wanted to commend you for that. Um, We're going to be taking a look at the Gospel of Mark in chapter 16. So if you have a Bible, you can turn there. I think there's Bibles here that you can grab um, along the aisles. So you might want to pick up a Bible, take a look at it. It was months and months ago that Simon asked me, can you come to my church on August 11th and preach from Mark 16. And I said yes for three reasons. One is because I like Simon. <laughs> Simon's a great guy. And I always know whenever Simon says anything in, in our class, in our cohort, it's going to be honest. It's going to be thoughtful. All right. And so I, I really like Simon. I said yes because I like the gospel of Mark. Mark is my favorite gospel. I know that's weird. I mean, a lot of people, you say, what's your favorite gospel? They don't First, go to Mark. They might go, you know, maybe John or Luke or something, or Matthew. So, Mark is my favorite gospel. So, there's that. And then the resurrection of Jesus Christ, Easter Sunday, is my favorite gospel theme. And so, this goes into my own story, my own history. Um, I, at at a young age uh, was an atheist. So 19 years old I was like a hardened unbeliever. I hated Christians and uh, there was a loving community of Christians much like you guys that started to draw me into not the gospel first but into community. Into a place where I felt accepted and I felt like I belonged and they began to introduce me to the gospel of Christ. And it was the resurrection that really got to me. For some reason, it was the theme of Jesus Christ, the risen Lord, that captured my imagination. And it was the resurrection of Christ and the evidence for it that convinced me to give my life to Jesus Christ as Lord. And my life was turned upside down by Jesus Christ, the risen Lord. So Simon comes along and he says, do you want to do Mark 16? And I'm like, yeah, I'll do it. (laughs) Absolutely. So we're going to take a look at Mark 16. I'm going to focus on verses 1 through 8 primarily in our study. Let me read this to you, and we'll just kind of get oriented. I'm reading from the ESV. Mark 16. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene And Mary, the mother of James and Salome, bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And the very first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back, and it was very large, that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Let's pause and just pray for God's blessing on his word. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for the power of your word, the beauty of the gospel, for this moment where we can separate ourselves from every other concern and hear your voice, speak to our hearts, Lord. We ask, God, that you will come alongside each one of us and whisper truth to us, Lord, transforming truth. Help us, Lord, to have eyes to see Jesus Christ, our risen Savior. Through this text, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So according to Mark's gospel, the very first reaction of the very first witnesses to the testimony of the resurrection was not joy, was not worship, was not faith, but it was terror, confusion, and unbelief. Did you see it? Verse eight. They went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Not about you, but when I think of go-to verses about the resurrection, Mark sixteen eight is not my first go-to verse, right? <laughs> When I think, you know, I've, I've, I've preached for 40 years or more and I've, I've probably done at least 40 Easter sermons and my go-to verse is not Mark 16 and verse 8. I have go-to verses on the resurrection. I love John 20:20. 20, 20. In fact, it's probably my favorite verse in the Bible, to be honest with you. And it says that then, they're in the upper room and Jesus comes in through closed doors. Even though the doors are closed, he just appears. And the Bible says, and then the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Now, that's my go-to verse for Easter. They were overjoyed when they saw Jesus. And that's got to be an understatement, right? It's amazing. Now, I've preached that verse all over the world. You know, that'll preach. It's beautiful. Another go-to verse for me is 1 Peter 1.3, where it says that, Blessed be God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, for... We've been born again through him to a living hope through the resurrection of Christ from the dead. And I love that verse too. So, you know, one verse gives me joy. One verse gives me hope. But none of that appears in Mark 16. None of it. In fact, to just kind of enter into the spirit of the verse, we had to take some time and let these words Work on our heart, work on your imagination, work on your thinking. There's four words. It's like Mark piles up words to grab our attention. Think about these words for a minute. It says, They went out and they fled from the tomb. The word fleeing means to flee in a crisis to run away for safety. For safety. This is the word that was used earlier in Mark when the disciples ran away in terror when the soldiers appeared in the garden and they arrested Jesus. And what did the disciples do? They fled. They ran for their lives. They ran for safety. This is the word that is used when Mary and Joseph ran from Herod, who was persecuting and was going to kill them or kill the child when Jesus was a baby. And what did they do? They ran away. They were fleeing for their lives and for safety. We were in Pacific City not long ago, and there was a girl working behind a counter, and she had a T-shirt on, and her T-shirt said, Tsunami Evacuation Plan. Run like hell. (laughs) And I said... I like that t shirt. That's a good t shirt, you know. Because every time I go to Pacific City, you know, you always see those tsunami evacuation route, little guy, you know, going up the hill and the giant thing coming up. <laughs> She's a local. She says, just run. What do you do? Just run. Nothing else you can do. Okay, that's, that's the word flee. Okay, run for your life. That's what they were doing. Okay, take a look at another word. How about the word trembling? And they fled from the tomb trembling, trembling. The word means to to literally quake, physically, to quake with fear. Have you ever been in a situation where you were so freaked out that you involuntarily trembled? You just, the adrenaline shot hits you, just boom. You can't help it. You don't want to shake, but you're just shaking. When I was in high school, I was in an earthquake, 7.2 Southern California earthquake, and our home was 10 miles from the epicenter. It hit at like 6 in the morning, I was asleep, but I woke up in the hallway. I remember waking up, and this is what's weird, I woke up, and here's the floor, but I had to put my hand on the wall to not fall over, because that's how tilted our house was. And it was unbelievable. And when the ground stopped shaking, I did not stop shaking. It was involuntary, like your, your body just seizes up. Okay, that's trembling. That's what they did. Let's look at the word astonishment. I think the NIV says they were bewildered. <laughs> this word means a state of consternation or profound emotional experience to the point of being beside oneself (laughs) you just lose it your head have you ever been where your head just starts spinning and you can't put a thought together in classical greek language they use this to describe the reaction of a person to a scorpion sting you ever seen a scorpion they're scary you ever been how many anyone been stung by a scorpion here Okay, Southern California, more people get stung, I guess. Right. I've never actually been stung, but I, I was around somebody who did get stung five times. Five times. I will tell you something. They were not in their right state of mind. The pain was so excruciating that they just went into a loop situation. Their head was just looping, looping, looping in pain. Okay, so in classical Greek language, that's how they describe this word, bewildered. I mean, there's quite a string of words put together here to give you a sense of what they were experiencing. Then, if we could add to that one more, it would be the word unbelief. If we were to go on and, and to read a few more verses, um, in verse nine it says, now when he rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene from whom he had cast out seven demons and she went and told those who had been with him as they mourned and wept but when they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her they would not believe it they they didn't believe so now let's add to the list of of the experience unbelief and that's not just in this passage here in Mark it's in really all the gospels that they, they just had a hard time coming to a place of faith and so I have to ask the question, why would Mark write his gospel account of the resurrection like this? Why would he do it? Now you guys have had the privilege of studying the gospel of Mark. And you know some things about the gospel of Mark. One is obvious, it's the shortest of all the gospels. 16 chapters, so it's short. It's very action-oriented. It's very concise The story just keeps moving. Chapter one, the word immediately in the Greek is used 11 times, immediately. Jesus was baptized, immediately the spirit came on him. Immediately he was driven into the wilderness. Immediately he came back, went into the synagogue. Immediately there was a man with a demon. Immediately he cast him out, just boom, 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 boom. It's just action-oriented, there's no embellishing. He gives us the straight story and every single word counts. Well, isn't that true of chapter 16 also? It's the shortest of all of the gospel accounts of Easter Sunday. It's the shortest on record. It's just pure mark. It's like, boom, concrete story, no embellishing. This is what happens And my question is, why then does Mark write his gospel account of the resurrection exactly like he does? So that's our question this morning. We're gonna think about it. We're gonna first engage the head, then we're gonna engage the heart. So go with me, think with me a little bit about that question. I'm gonna share with you some of the things that I've thought, the conclusions that I've come to. And the first is this. Mark wants us to know that no one who first heard about the resurrection of Christ had a positive response to it. It has to be. He wants us to know that. No one, not one a single person. These women, they did not have a positive response. It wasn't like joy and hope and faith. It was terror, mind-numbing bewilderment, fleeing, and fear. Fear. The apostles, they did not have a positive, the very first time they heard evidence of the resurrection, they did not have a positive response to it. Their response was unbelief. No one in the Gospel of Mark comes off looking like a spiritual giant on Easter Sunday. <laughs> and I kind of like that. No one is the hero of the story except for Jesus. Everybody kind of misses what is going on, and that is by intention, and so we find out that we are not the only ones who have a difficult time believing in the resurrection of Jesus, and I thought I was the only one. I was 19 years old. I had become an atheist. I rejected Christ. I grew up in the church. I grew up in the Catholic church. I didn't hear much about the resurrection. I saw Jesus on a cross, but it didn't matter. I rejected the whole thing. I turned against Christians. And you know why I said, this is nonsense. It's nonsense. I mean, this just defies logic, it defies science. There can be no way. And then comes the story of the resurrection, and I'm putting it in the nonsense category. <laughs> that's just where it lives. You go, Well, that's where that belongs, right? Well, evidently, Mark wants us to know that we're not the only ones that wrestle with the truth of the resurrection. And we might think, well, you know, they were pre-scientific and all this, and so of course they believed in the resurrection because, you know, who wouldn't back then? But today we know better. Well, evidently that's not true. It might have been for different reasons, but they wrestled with it just the way that we wrestle with it. And Mark wants us to know that. Do you know that the Gospel of Mark, it has this ring of truth to it? There's no embellishing, there's no skirting the issue that the first followers of Jesus found this difficult to comprehend. But when you read it, you go, now, actually, that makes sense. It just makes sense that that would have been their experience. The Gospel of Mark, oh, it has the ring of authenticity to the text, and I love that. Here's something else. Mark wants us to know the actual names of the real eyewitnesses to the events of Christ's death and resurrection. Now Mark goes through some effort to name names. And so in chapter 16, verse 1, it says, When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Salome, bought spices and came." Now he's naming names. And, and when you read his gospel, if you're paying attention, chapter 15 and 16, and even throughout the whole thing, you realize, you know, this guy names a lot of names in his gospel. And now, especially coming up to this episode, if you just roll the tape back a little bit, go into chapter 15 for a minute. Let's take a look at chapter 15 and verse 40. Now we're back, the crucifixion. 1540, there were also women looking on from a distance among whom were who? Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James the Younger, and Joseph and Salome. Oh, well, they showed up again. There they are, called out by name. And what were they doing? They're seeing the crucifixion of Jesus called out by name. Take a look at chapter 15 and in verse 46. Joseph... Bought a linen shroud and taking him down, wrapped him, that's Jesus, wrapped him in the linen shroud and laid him in a tomb that had been cut out of the rock. And he rolled a stone against the entrance to the tomb. And Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. Oh, calls him out by name again. Name, name, name. It's a trend. You see it in the Gospels, the Gospel of Mark. Mark names 33 named individuals in his gospel. Luke slash Acts. Luke is the author of the gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. If you combine them, there's 65 named individuals between Luke and Acts. What's up with the naming of names in the New Testament? Here's the answer. These women are the real eyewitnesses to the real events of the gospel and Mark wants us to know it. Okay, these are eyewitnesses. Five years ago on sabbatical, my wife and I went, we spent three weeks in Israel. It was amazing. We rented a car, we drove around, we saw the sites, we saw the archeology span and all these different things. We found ourselves in Galilee. We rented an Airbnb house at Rosh Pina in the hills above the Sea of Galilee, and we hung out there for about a week, and it was amazing, it was great. And what I did was, I had a book on my Kindle, and that book was by Richard Bauckham, and the book is titled uh, Jesus and the Eyewitnesses. The Gospel is Eyewitness Testimony. The Eyewitnesses, Richard Bauckham, senior research New Testament professor at... Ridley House, Cambridge University, high-powered guy, and I found myself, isn't this weird? I mean, I'm at the Sea of Galilee, and I'm reading this academic book about eyewitnesses to Jesus. There's a reason for that. Because when you go to Israel and you look around, you see these sites, you see the archaeology, you you see, and some people, well, it could have been here, it could have been there. Oh, this could have been the garden tomb. Well, this could have been the tomb. This could have been the site of the crucifixion, or this could have been. We're just really not sure exactly. And then all of a sudden, you're like, man, I wanted some kind of evidence here. I was here to, you know, get powered up with the evidence. And what you realize is the evidence isn't in the archaeology. The evidence is in the eyewitnesses who reported it, and we have the record of that in the New Testament, and it's powerful. It's powerful. Here's what Richard Bacham did. He did a study on the most popular names in first century Israel. I know it seems kind of weird, but he actually went back, he studied all the evidence, all the literature. He's like, what were the most popular names in first century Israel? Here they are. Simon... Top 10 list, right? Simon, Joseph, Lazarus, Judas, John, and Jesus. Most popular names for, for the boys. Girls, Mary, Salome, Martha, Joanna, Sapphira. Sound like Bible names, right? But it wasn't just in the Bible. This was spread throughout the culture. They had these names. Do you know what the most popular names today are? here they come, 2019, boys, Liam, Noah, Logan, James, Oliver, you ready for that, okay, that's, that's reality, girls, Emma, Ava, Olivia, Isabella, and, uh, I can't read what I wrote, <laughs> something else, <laughs> some other name, I don't know, right, Isn't that weird? So there's there's trends in names, all right? In 1953, when I was born, my name is Guy. My name is Guy. Was it the most popular name in 1953? No, it wasn't even on the list. It's still not on the list. It's tragic, it's sad. (laughs) We named our son Trevor. I called my dad and I said, you have a grandson. And he's like, what's his name? I said, Trevor pause just a big pause on the end of the line he says to me where did you come up with that name (laughs) you know what i said to him i said where did you come up with the name guy (laughs) and he said it was your mother's idea (laughs) all right so fun with names right Richard Bauckham, he goes back and he does a statistical study on the prevalence of names in first century Israel and he compares it with the names in the New Testament and he comes up with an exact statistical match. If you're making up stories, you don't do stuff like that. You can't do stuff like that. If you're fabricating a myth, you don't have those kinds of accurate details. But the New Testament is filled with those kinds of accurate details. What's the point? The point is that Mark is giving us real names of real people who are real eyewitnesses to the real events. Now, what's contested? What's contested about Jesus? Well, maybe he never died. Maybe he, on the cross, maybe he never died. Contested. Well, maybe there was no empty tomb. Contested. What does Mark do? Mark says, let me give you names of people that were at the site. Chapter 15. What do these women see? They saw Jesus crucified. They're eyewitnesses to the crucifixion. What do these women see? They saw the body being brought down wrapped in linens. What did they see? They saw Jesus placed in a tomb. What did they see? They walked into an empty tomb. The whole construct of this text in Mark is to show us the testimony of eyewitnesses. Can you imagine the power of the testimony of these witnesses? What do we learn about Mary Magdalene? Remember? Chapter 16, verse 9. He appeared first to Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out seven demons. Well, there's a life transformation. Wow. Can you imagine the power of the testimony of Mary Magdalene? Unbelievable. Now, Mark, the Gospel of Mark was written about 25 years after the fact of the crucifixion and resurrection. 25 years which to some of you might seem like a long time, but to me it didn't seem long at all. We planted our church here thirty years ago, in in the Portland area, and it seems like yesterday. I remember it like yesterday. I have a guy in my church. His name is Dean. Dean was there from the beginning of our church. We have newcomer meetings, and you know, welcome to the church, and we tell the story and everything. And Dean comes to every one of them everyone, you know, 25 years, we have a newcomer meeting. Dean's sitting in the back. And I've learned I have to give him the mic. You know, it's like he's here. Okay, give Dean the mic. You know what Dean does? I tell the whole story of the church and Dean, he gets the mic. He says, okay, everybody, I just want you to know it's all true. I was there. I saw it. It's exactly the way that he said it. Thank you very much. He hands the mic back. (laughs) Isn't that great? So what he says is, you know what? I'm an eyewitness. I'm an eyewitness. You have questions? Come and talk to me. Mary Magdalene, eyewitness, life changed. Can you imagine the electrifying testimony of these women and then the apostles and then the 500 to whom Jesus appeared? Why in the world do you think the gospel took off like wildfire? It's because of this real eyewitnesses to real events. And the center of the event is the cross. And the resurrection of Jesus. It's amazing. So now I just want to change gears a bit. And I want to talk to your heart. Now that last part was kind of a little bit intellectual. It's like lists of name and statistics from the New Testament and all that kind of stuff. It's great. So we need to know that because it's real. It's true, right? But now, now just change gear for a minute. And um, let's let the text speak to our heart. And so the way I want to do that is I want to invite you... To come with me into the empty tomb. See, I think that's what Mark is doing. I think Mark is, these women are going into the empty tomb, and it's almost like he's saying, okay, everybody, just step inside for a minute. Step inside the empty tomb. And inside the empty tomb, here's what you're going to hear you're going to hear a declaration of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Inside the empty tomb. Why do I say that? Take a look at the text in Mark chapter 16. Looking up in verse four, they saw the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. Entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who is crucified. He has risen. He is not here See the place where they laid him and go tell his disciples. Now, I'm, I'm saying, come into the empty tomb and hear the gospel from inside the empty tomb. You say, well, wait, where's the gospel? Read it again. Take a look at what it says in verse six. Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth who is crucified, he is risen. He's not here. You just heard the gospel. You just heard in condensed form the entirety of the gospel of Mark. Did you know that? Heard the whole thing right there in four words. This is what's amazing about the gospel of Mark in this verse. There's four words lined up together. In the English, you have to use more words to translate it. But in the Greek, there's just four words side by side. And it goes like this. Jesus Nazareth, crucified, risen. Four words. You've studied the Gospel of Mark. Think back. Jesus, which Jesus? You know, Jesus is on the hit list of names. There's a lot of guys named Jesus running around. Joshua. They're everywhere, right? Well, what Jesus? Jesus of Nazareth. Oh, that Jesus. And by saying Jesus of Nazareth... It's pointing to the lived life of Jesus. The story that you've read of Jesus going to the synagogue in Nazareth, casting out demons, healing people, teaching, loving, that Jesus. Well, what else about him? Well, that's the Jesus who was crucified. And the gospel just brings us to that elaborate description of Christ crucified on the cross. Why is he crucified? For your sins and mine. For our guilt. He takes our guilt on the cross. Wow. Well then what happened? (laughs) He's risen. Jesus of Nazareth. That Jesus. That Jesus died on the cross. That Jesus was risen on the third day. And that Jesus is not here. But you know what? He's going to show up. (laughs) Go tell his disciples. He's going to show up. Wow. I call it the view from the empty tomb. I once saw a bumper sticker, my favorite bumper sticker of all time. And it said, everyone must believe in something. I believe I'll have another beer. (laughs) That's my favorite all time bumper sticker. I mean, you gotta give it credit, right, just for that, I mean, who came up with that? That's awesome. And I thought, you know, that's so much like the way people think. Like, hey, welcome to Portland. You know, everyone must believe in something. I believe I'll light up, or I believe I'll do whatever. Right? I mean, that's Portland. Okay? It's the world that we live in. And I used to think that. I used to feel exactly that way. It's weird. When I came to Christ, you know what I did? I went out and bought bumper, Christian bumper stickers and I put them on everything. I put them on, you know, I was a musician. I had, I had my guitar case and I had this Give Jesus a Chance bumper sticker on my guitar case. It was awesome. And then I got a, four bumper stickers and I put one in the front of my car, one on each side and one on the back, just so everybody would know. <laughs> okay, I'm sold out for Jesus. I have my bumper stickers protecting me from you. And... <laughs> the evil world and proclaiming my faith, right? (laughs) I want you to think about living your life from the perspective of the empty tomb of Jesus and the truth of the gospel, okay? Think about the difference that makes. They're sitting in that tomb, hearing the gospel, and they can look out through the entrance, and they can see Jerusalem. Right outside the door of that tomb, is a broken world, a violent world, a world of injustice, a world of suffering, a world in which they will be persecuted. That's what's right outside the door of that tomb. But somehow, when you're looking through the perspective of the empty tomb, it's transformative. It transforms the way you see the world. I know it didn't happen in a moment, because they're terrified and freaking out and running. But it did happen, it did happen. Jesus kept showing up. Think about this verse. Here's an amazing verse, verse seven. But go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee and there you will see him. Just as he told you and so the great adventure begins. The great adventure, you'll see him it's an invitation, a new beginning. And tell Peter, by the way, should call out Peter. Why? Because Peter is the one who said, though everyone denies you, I'll never deny. And what did he do? He denied. Well, go tell Peter. Because there's only one hero of the Easter story, and that's not you, it's Jesus and he's the risen Lord, and he's the Lord who loves, and he's the one who went to the cross for your sins, and he's the one who lives, and he's the one who'll meet you even though you're imperfect, and even though you have sin in your life, and even though there's been failure in your life. Jesus is going to show up, and he's going to lead you, and your life is going to be an adventure with King Jesus, the risen Lord, and it's going to change everything. It'll change everything. It won't take away the pain. It won't take away the suffering. Won't take away the opposition, but it'll transform everything. And that's what Mark's gospel does. It's amazing. It's powerful. I'm going to have Simon come up here and do whatever he does. Say prayer. Lead us. Thank you, for, thank you for listening. Thank you, God. You're now listening to Grace City Portland.